0: Hey, it's Nellie. And it's Juno. And you're listening to Two Addies and Coffee, Please. Where we share unfiltered life experiences as young, badass Asian-American women with ADHD.
1: Welcome to another episode of Two Addies and a Coffee, Please. In this episode, we're excited to have Katie Weber here with us. Host of The Woman and ADHD Podcast, ADHD Advocate and Holistic Health Coach, and author of Worth It, A Journey to Food and Body Freedom.
0: So hi, Katie. Thank you so much for joining us. We were really happy to come onto your podcast last time, and we're super grateful for you reaching out. Um, I thought your story was super cool. I love the work you're doing. Could you introduce yourself and a quick background for our listeners?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I was diagnosed with ADHD in 2020 at the age of 45. And I am what I like to call a pandemic diagnosis, which was basically everybody went into lockdown and I had a mental breakdown. (laughs) And then I am lethargic and lying around on the couch for days and I can't get motivated. And so during lockdown... My kids were home. My husband was home. I didn't have a housekeeper anymore. The house was just a disaster all the time. And I am an entrepreneur as a health coach. So like I tend to like work for small snippets throughout the day whenever I can fit it in. And suddenly my kids were home and on Zoom and there were all of these like, you know, I just felt like I I couldn't concentrate on my own work because I was always felt like I any minute I was going to be pulled away by one of my kids for some reason. And so I had been complaining to her about this and like, I just felt like I couldn't do anything. And then of course, you know, there was a global pandemic and I just had so much anxiety and it just like, I felt like my world was closing in on me. And so she said, look, you really need to look into ADHD mm-hmm. because she was seeing this, um, what I now term as piece of shit syndrome which is like you know here is this woman who is bright she's you know capable uh she is you know an intelligent woman who views herself so uh, terribly you know and so she was saying like a lot of ADHD manifests itself in women as this you know as this real disparity between who you are on the outside to other people and how you feel inside and i was like oh yeah i definitely relate to that (laughs) and so I said okay fine let me look into it I did a self-test uh the Attitude Magazine self-test which is uh by Sari Solden and I scored a perfect score which is like you know I like to joke it's the only time I've ever aced a test (laughs) and (laughs) and that was the first time I realized okay so when we talk about ADHD especially in women we're talking about inability to manage chores you know and so like the questions on that test really brought home a lot of sense of like do you panic if somebody comes to your house? And I'm like, "Oh yeah, for sure." Like, you know, making all of these connections between like the ways in which our executive function, you know, manifests in our lives and, you know, how little we think of ourselves based on what we are actually doing in real life. So that's why I was like, that's when I was like, oh, wow, I feel like all of these seemingly random struggles that I have had throughout the entire course of my life are all suddenly being described by this one diagnosis in such this incredible way. And I was like, oh my God, like, wow, I was reevaluating everything in my life. I was going back to middle school and my grades and all the struggles I had there, like handwriting issues. Like it just felt like every where I turned, there was another rock that I was turning over. And it was like, yep, ADHD. (laughs) Yep, yep, that's also ADHD. And I just was blown away and felt kind of like this phoenix rising from the ashes of this mental breakdown where I was like, Oh, my God, like my I felt like my my personal narrative was changing really radically where I was like, wow, like I am looking at myself as this completely different, highly capable person now and really realizing like how I had just completely uh, mislabeled myself. And I really wanted to find out if there were other women, especially like women my age in their forties who had gone through their whole life being misdiagnosed with depression and anxiety and uh, postpartum depression and all of these kind of experiences that never really felt right. Uh, And then suddenly being diagnosed and then having this incredibly transformative experience. And I wanted to find out if other women had experienced this. So I was like, well, uh, how am I going to interview women without being weird about it? So I'm like, I'll start a (laughs) podcast. (laughs) And if I start a podcast, uh, then I will have an excuse to interview other women. And the first thing I did, I'm a huge podcast junkie, I love podcasts. And so like when I was diagnosed, the very first thing I did was type women and ADHD into a search engine on Apple podcasts. So that's how I came up with the name women in ADHD, because I figured it would be really easy for other people to find, I immediately went into hyper focus and started like reading everything I could listening to all these podcasts, joining all these Facebook groups going on TikTok and Twitter and just like my entire life became about understanding and researching ADHD. I was in this um, Facebook group for women who are entrepreneurs with ADHD. And I just kind of posted, you know, I'm thinking I'm starting this podcast, I'd really just want to interview and talk to other women about their experiences. Is anybody interested in going on my podcast? And And, you know, uh, we could also talk about your business, too. And in that same day, 40 women reached out to me. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that's when I was like, oh, I think maybe I've hit on something. (laughs) So I just kind of started interviewing women one after the other and finding out their stories and kind of how they first were diagnosed, what their experience was. And it's been so incredibly amazing to have these conversations with women, but it never occurred to me that like anyone would listen to them. You know, I just wanted to, I just wanted an excuse to interview women for myself, you know, it was purely selfish. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then they were saying, you know, how amazing it was to have that conversation with me, you know, like to be able to talk about their experiences. And then once I put the podcast out there and people started listening to it, like people were writing me and saying, I, it's been such an amazing experience to hear myself in these other stories and these women's stories. And so it just suddenly it became this like wonderfully symbiotic relationship that everybody seemed to be benefiting it from it. I think, you know, I've realized along the way, just like how much of the way that we treat even treating ADHD feels like a weird word, but like so much of our experience and so much of our therapy is about like storytelling and sharing and knowing that we are not alone. And we have so much like secret shame about some of the things that we struggle with, you know, and and so much of our identity is about this public persona and this private persona and the like, huge gap in between <laughs> those two. Uh, so there is like a lot of private and secret struggling. And so I think that hearing other people going through that is such a, there's such overwhelming sense of relief. It feels like that's what, really what we're looking for. Like we're just looking to be understood and we're looking to understand ourselves. And we've spent our whole lives kind of not really knowing what was wrong with us. And, and that was kind of how I found out about ADHD and started the podcast. And I have a history in journalism, so it kind of makes sense that I love interviewing people. So now that's like my full-time hobby. <laughs>
1: in. Once like, you got that formal diagnosis of ADHD, how did that feel? Because I can't imagine, I guess, like me and Juno you know, being both diagnosed last year, I think to me, I was like, I need something. There's something wrong with me. I need to know exactly what name it is. And I always felt like this missing piece. So when you were growing up, was ADHD talked about amongst women? What was that like growing up without that diagnosis? And how did you manage all of those ADHD symptoms prior to like having this formal treatment and then also getting maybe like medication or medication? therapy and things like that.
2: I, I had never heard of ADHD in my childhood. I mean, I I was born in 1974. So like I was growing up in the 80s and was in high school in the late 80s, early 90s. And so if ADHD was like, I didn't know anybody who had ADHD, it was nowhere near as prevalent even with boys, like it just, I had never heard of it. You were just, there were just the kids in the back of the class who misbehaved (laughs) and they went to the principal's office. And I started really, really struggling in school around middle school. And I had two older brothers who did really, really well in school, straight A's. They both went to really prestigious colleges and I came along and my parents had no idea what to do with me. And I suddenly like started getting like D's and F's and this was just like not something our family did. On the one hand, my father was like, this is terrible and we need to do something about this and you need to study harder and, and, and you know, was sort of more like, almost like embarrassed by the fact that I, one of his offspring <laughs> was doing so poorly in school. Whereas my mother was like, took the gentler approach, which was like, well, not all of our kids can be straight A students. So I guess you're the, you know, you're the black sheep. And so she was like, I still love you. It never, it never occurred to anybody that like, maybe I had an undiagnosed learning disorder, or maybe I needed a freaking tutor. Mm. I look back and I think there's so many ways in which this could have been dealt with or handled better. But, you know, obviously, I there is so much grief and resentment when you look back over this diagnosis and all of these signs that were clearly there, but nobody had any idea, you know, and like, I remember my mom saying to me, because... By the time I was graduating high school, and it was pretty clear that if I was going to go to university, like I, I needed to like pull a, a, a rabbit out of a hat, um, which I did eventually do and did eventually go. But I remember her saying to me, like, there's people who have book smarts and you have street smarts or like not everybody goes to college and that's okay. And, and so like, I realize now looking back at it, that she was just trying to make me feel better. Cause it's true. You know, not everybody goes to college and that's <laughs> totally okay. But I also realized like, like how damaging those comments were in terms of just my sense of self and my sense of my own intellect, you know, and how much of our intellect is tied to our academic performance. And, you know, and so when so many of us do poorly in school, I think we end up spending the rest of our life trying to convince ourselves that we are not dumb <laughs> as a result. And so I think like, I've learned so much from interviewing other women who are Just brilliant. And some of them have PhDs and some of them didn't even graduate high school. Right. And so I'm like, your intellect has nothing to do with your academic performance. And that was a big mental shift for me personally, because I didn't realize how much I had carried that shame with me into my adult life. So in terms of managing symptoms, I started smoking at the age of 14. <laughs> I uh was a heavy coffee drinker. I definitely like look back and I realize I had like I self-medicated with alcohol, drugs and caffeine and nicotine in the morning and then alcohol and drugs at night. And it was funny because like by the time I joined the school newspaper and became a journalist and worked in newspapers for, you know, decades, That was our culture. The culture was you wake up and you just pound caffeine until like 2 p.m. And then you switch to alcohol and then you, you know, and then you drink until you pass out. And that was kind of a celebrated call. Oh, and you were chain smoking the whole time too. So that was like newspaper culture, (sighs) journalism culture, Mm -hmm. like really kind of glorified a lot of those behaviors or at least made it feel cool. So I did a lot of self-medicating and I dropped out of university too. I dropped out after my first year and ended up Uh, wandering and trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life and eventually decided I did want to go back and get my BA. So I like forced myself back to school and really like focused. I, I, I feel like there were like moments in my life where I could pull myself together just enough to get the job done. And then I would get an A. And then I'd be like, all right, well, I did that, you know, like these moments where you I could pull myself up by my bootstraps and get the thing done, but literally like by the skin of my teeth, and it took everything I had, and then I would be exhausted afterwards, people with a- undiagnosed ADHD, there's that sense of like, I can do it, right? I can, mm-hmm. if, if the motivation is there, I can get my act together and do it. So therefore, when I'm not doing it, I must be a lazy person. And, you know, Know, which is not true. (laughs) Basically, I've been on various cocktails of antidepressants for most of my life. Um, And actually, now is the, you know, since my ADHD diagnosis, it's the first time I haven't been on some kind of antidepressant. So, oh,
0: wow. Congratulations. Yeah. That's amazing. I totally agree with what you said about um, school not measuring your capability. And I feel like so many brilliant, bright people are like just pounded down by all these executive functioning requirements that are required in school and jobs. And actually, as we've been interviewing people with ADHD as well, not necessarily for this podcast, but some other research we're doing Um, Some people are so upset because they are super like overqualified for their jobs or overqualified for certain things, but they struggle to move up because of neurotypical processes that are required of them, like disregarding their like intellectual capabilities. So I'm a little curious, uh, especially with your experience interviewing all of these super successful women with ADHD, um, what are some of the patterns that you've been seeing that surprised you when you first interviewed them?
2: One thing I think a lot of us have in common is that piece of shit syndrome, you know, like feeling like imposter syndrome. I think imposter syndrome is something, understandably, that every one of my guests has experienced to some degree, which is really just this sense that, like you said, I feel like other people are further along in life than I am. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I feel like, you know, even just like salary negotiation or like, you know, things that other people seem to be if you know effortless at are are things that we like really really struggle with and 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 then there's the rumination and overthinking and anxiety like I think there are so many ways in which we just feel deep down we are going to f- get found out that we are like masquerading in life and that we are kids pretending to be grown-ups. <laughs> so I was terribly in debt when I met my husband. I lived in Toronto and I always had American citizenship, so I had like a social security number, but in Canada it's a social insurance number and it's the same idea, right? It's mm-hmm. like you're ID number that follows you around. So when I moved here, I was 26 and I had such terrible debt that like lawyers were calling me and they somehow found me in the US at my new number. And, oh, wow. and so my husband, we were just, we had just started dating and like, he was sitting in my living room and the phone rang and I picked up the phone and immediately hung it back up again. And he was like, uh, what just happened? And I was like, nothing. That's just lawyers who are trying to track me down. <laughs> and, then <I> burst, <laughs> and then I burst into tears. <laughs> and, and why he didn't run for the door in that m- moment and never look back. I never know. But for some reason he stayed and was like, okay, what is happening? And I was like, I don't know. I'm in terrible debt and I don't know what to do. And I'm so overwhelmed that I just like explode. Like I just like, tum- it all tumbled out of me that I didn't know how to manage debt. Like, I just felt like there were things that people knew how to do and I couldn't. And like, it seems silly. You, it's You it, These are the things that are so hard to articulate and explain to people who don't struggle with this stuff, right? Which is like, wherein lies the struggle? (laughs) Because people are just like, well, just do it. And you're like, no, like, how do I describe that sense of paralysis, right? Like, it really is So difficult to describe. And so for him, he just I was telling him, you know, I was like, I just don't know where to start. I'm so overwhelmed. And so I just shut down and I don't do anything. And so he was like, all right, look, let's just figure this out. We'll sit down. And and he sorted it all out for me. He called credit counselors and like he basically solved my debt issue. And then at that point, we, he was so in love with me that, like, we bought a house together and merged our banking. And basically, he's taken it. He took everything over from that day <laughs> forward. And he's he does everything. And so on the one hand, I'm like, thank God I have him helping me with finances and doing all of this stuff. And if it wasn't for him, like, I would, I would never have a credit score to buy a house, you know, or like all of these other grown up things that are required in life. Um, thankfully, I had a clean slate when I moved here with my social security. And so like, I was able to kind of start fresh, not everybody has that opportunity. But at the same time, I also live in like complete terror, that he's either going to leave me or die, and then I'm going to have to do these things, you know, like, I think there are things that we start struggle with to such a degree that even if we can find the help that we need, there's a sense of just like fear and inadequacy that someday that help is going to go away and that we're still going to have to figure out how to do this on our own. And, you know, a lot of the women I interview, there's a sense of like, we don't value enough what we bring to the table. We we value the things that we don't bring to the table that we need other people to bring to the table. Right. And so I think that really contributes a lot of the time to our low self-esteem. It's more fun for our brains for us to be in a constant state of terror and anxiety (laughs) and misery and rumination, you know, like, that sadly is more interesting to us than it is like being satisfied and having gratitude and being peaceful, like those are boring. And so we don't tend to stay in those states of mind very often. Uh, I think we tend to like a bungee cord, we tend to always go back to a state of anxiety. I notice with so many women I interview, which is just that we are our own worst enemy so men- so much mm-hmm. of the time. Our default state is always one of depression or miserable or <laughs> worry <laughs> or anxiety, you know, like all of these kind of the dark side or Halloway and Rady and ADHD 2.0, they talk about like the DMN, which... I can't think right now what that acronym means.
1: Default mode network. Yes.
2: Yes. They talk about the demon, right? And like they talk about how it's more interesting for our brains to be in this state. And that default mode is the demon that really like lives on our shoulder and follows us around. I think I just thought that was like a very nice analogy of of showing like why we are always so dramatic. (laughs)
1: I can definitely relate to what you were saying about the constant state of like anxiety or depression or just feeling so much and being in kind of chaos. And I think like a lot of women with ADHD and experiencing imposter syndrome, you always feel you always focus on the things that you cannot do that other people can do. And I just remember an instance where I was always beating myself up because I can't read a book cover to cover. And it's just so hard for me to do that. But I was talking to like one of my coworkers, and she was like, I think it's amazing that you can read five books at once. I can read like 10 pages of five books at the same time, but I can't do 50 pages of one book. And I was like, oh, wow. I didn't understand that that was a strength that I had. And I could bring that to the table if I just realize that this is what I am good at. And I don't need to compare myself to like, oh, other people can read cover to cover all in one sitting, and things like that. And I think it really does affect the way that you perceive yourself and how you interact with other people. And I'm really curious, like, living with your husband, how do you kind of communicate all of your like quirks that are related to ADHD? And how did he kind of react or accept that differences? Yeah. You know, it's
2: funny. I think our relationship has improved immensely since my diagnosis because we always had this dynamic where he was the competent one and I was the hot mess. Right. And that was just like how we existed. At least I thought we did. And so I used to always say to him, like, we've been together 20 years. I used to always say to him, like, I obviously know why I'm with you. You do everything (laughs) that is good. Uh, uh, It's clear to me why I'm with you, but I don't understand why you're with me. And I was like, tell me why you're with me. And he would always have these terrible answers that were never satisfying. Like you smell good or like, (laughs) you know, or like, you know, or, or just be like, I don't know. Uh, Oh, he's a total introvert. And so he would always say to me, like, I feel like when I'm with you, I'm alone. And I never understood that that was like the highest compliment an introvert can actually Mm. pay you because he was like, when I first met you, I felt as comfortable around you as I did when I was alone. And I'd never met another person who I felt that comfortable with. So I knew I must be in love with you. And so, but even still, I was sort of like, I'll take it, I guess. Like what kind of a compliment is I feel like (laughs) I'm alone when I'm with you. Uh, And so... But like I said, like I just never really saw myself as having anything to bring to the table. And when I was diagnosed, and I was able to really kind of reframe a lot of the things that I thought of as faults, like you said, like the frenetic energy, the you know always shifting, never able to stay at a job for two years. Once I started looking at it as like I have a lot of energy and I'm super passionate about things, and so I I can't stay in a boring job for two years. I need to move on. You know, like the way that you're able to reframe parts about you that you always thought were terrible and shameful and lazy and now you're like wow no actually I bring a ton of interesting things to the table I'm endlessly fascinated like I have childlike fascination about the most ridiculous things and like it must be so much fun to be around somebody like me you know like (laughs) once I started actually taking the time to think about like oh I'm not a terrible human being um I, I think it really helped us communicate because then I could, you know, not only I was like, was I like, wow, it must be really annoying to be in love with somebody who just dumps on herself for twenty years, you know, like that must be really frustrating to have the person who you think so highly of think so terribly of herself. Like, so I think the fact that I have able to, been able to like reframe how I view myself, I think has really done a lot of good in our relationship. And I'm also then able to like articulate in the moment what is happening because I better understand ADHD. So I think just like being able to advocate is a huge part of, of an ADHD diagnosis, which is like, oh, rather than thinking what's wrong with me? I can't operate in this system. You know, think this system is not serving me or this system, you know, needs to be tweaked for my needs. And so you look at that and you're like, that is, you apply that to relationships, you apply that to jobs, you apply that to school, like every, you know, there were so many facets of my life where I was thinking, what's wrong with me because I can't do X, Y, Z, as opposed to just being like, no, X, Y, Z is demanding something of you that you are not capable of doing in your current neurological state so let's (laughs) figure out how you can do x y you know what you what help you need to do that and so yeah i think that has just been like mind-blowing how um, that simple little like philosophical tweak uh has affected my life in in so many ways
0: Everyone, we'd love to connect and hear from you. DM us on Instagram at two twoaddies with feedback or what you'd like us to talk about next.
1: Hearing your stories and sweet comments really makes our day and motivates us to keep creating content. So thank you for all the support.
0: I really, really love what you said about your journey in identifying what you love about yourself and the strengths, oh, especially the fun part. I think... The traits that make us distracted and excited about things like a child make us special i me and nelly were actually at the park the other day it was like a playground and a bunch of kids shooting around with water guns and climbing things and the adults sitting in the corner we were like will we be like that when we're adults like what (laughs) why are there no playgrounds for adults we were googling the shit out of this like we were like there needs to be adult playgrounds in new york city come on new york city and we were like oh my god is everything just bars like is there nothing ADHD people need to be on top of this shit right they need to be organizing the play places and the hangout spots in New York because then it'll be so fun
2: right and see that's a brilliant idea which is exactly what ADHD people do they have big picture ideas and they're like this is what the world needs and it's so great and then you just need somebody else to do it for you (laughs) (laughs) like this is a million dollar idea now I need somebody with executive function who could actually get that done (laughs) Yes. But that's fine. But then, you know, you're like, now I know what I'm good at. And now I need interns or now I need VAs or whatever you need to like get that stuff done. Hand it off.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think recognizing that the ideation process is a strength and really special and unique is so important. What you mentioned earlier about not being like a master or like specializing in one particular thing can make us beat ourselves up sometimes. And I know a lot of people, at least myself, actually a lot too. Before I got diagnosed, I was always really self-conscious that I was not spending all of my time in a particular field and exploring different projects, but I read somewhere that the people who are the most innovative and make the biggest changes in a field are the people who are very multidisciplinary and have a lot of different interests. So I was like, hell yeah, <laughs> ADHD people. Definitely everything you're doing, you're a super, super high-functioning person with ADHD, and I think all the work you're doing is super great. And I'm curious, like, how does your ADHD play into that, whether it's your podcasting process, which we're curious about because... <laughs> We definitely have some interesting things about that or the coach or like running your websites.
2: Yeah. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) hyper-focus. It's usually at like three in the morning, your eyes blink open and you're like, oh my God, podcast. And then you can't sleep. Like when I came up with this idea and all of those women reached out to me and I realized this was something that other people might be as excited about as I was. I had like body buzz. Do you know what I mean? Like that body buzz where you're just like, it's just pure adrenaline. The next 72 hours was just in complete hyper-focus where I was like, I'm going to call it Women in ADHD. I'm going to create the logo. I'm going to buy the URL. Oh my God, I'm going to make Twitter. I'm going to make a Twitter (laughs) handle. I'm going to make an Instagram (laughs) handle. Just, it was all I thought about and all I did. And it was like, I remember my kids getting really excited about making this book. So they didn't even start writing the book, but they went home and they went into Canva and they created the cover and the title and everything else without writing the book. And I was like, that (laughs) is ADHD right there, right? You just want to do all the fun stuff. You want to do the good stuff. And so there is that way with like, especially with podcasting, as I'm sure you guys have experienced, which you're sort of like, I'm going to get super interested. And then suddenly you're geeking out over which is the best microphone to buy. And you're learning about equalizing sound. And like, you're just, you fall down these deep rabbit holes because it's sort of equal parts fascinating. But also like, why would I pay somebody else money for this when I could probably just figure it out with 12 hours of deep hyper focus? So it's like, we always kind of operate in that sense that like, on the one hand, I love the puzzle of figuring things out. But on the other hand, I'm kind of stubborn. And I'm like, I can do this. So I'm not going to try to outsource it. And then I think we get into trouble because then we get super overwhelmed. There was a period in the beginning of my podcast where I started putting out two episodes a week, because I had interviewed so many women. And it had gotten to the part where I was like, I'm either going to have to start telling women that their interviews are not going to come out in six, until six months from now, or I'm going to have to start putting out two a week. And so instead of telling people, that, <laughs> instead of waiting six months, and maybe disappointing somebody who thought their podcast interview was going to come out sooner, instead of, you know, in order to avoid that conversation, that's how much of a people pleaser I am. I <laughs> I started putting two out a week so that there wouldn't be so much time between the interview and the episode airing. And I was like, what is wrong with you? Like you will, I will go to such great lengths, but there was also a part of me that was like super excited about all these interviews and really wanted them out because I'm impulsive. And so I was like, I want the world to hear these. And so I was putting them out two at a time and
1: obviously got burnt out and was like, I can't keep doing this. So, (laughs) I think that's amazing that you pumped out two episodes a week and you're just like one person. And I think getting hyper-focused and impulsive is amazing because me and Juno, we both like... Do you wanna do a podcast? Sure. Okay. What do we need to do? She's like, I'll do the website. We need to do graphics. And I'm like, I don't know any graphics. And I was like, I'll download Procreate and I bought it. And I was like, I have Apple Pencil and I have iPads. So I can do something with it. And I was just, I think we just had a Google call and we were both on mute or something. And we we're like, okay, we're gonna do this. And after two or three hours, we are like, I'm done. And she's like, I'm done. I'm like, okay, cool, let's publish.
2: <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Um, Yeah, and I think you could look at that as a fault. But I think it's also a strength, like, you know, getting things out there and just impulsively putting things out there without thinking, you know, a lot of interesting stuff gets put into the universe as a result of not overthinking.
1: There's a quote that's kind of like, self-doubt kills more dreams than failure ever did. And I think because people with ADHD, they're so creative, and they love just going for it. I think we get so many of our ideas out there that prevent so many other people to like not actually pursue their dreams so I see it as like a benefit and I have so many random projects I've started like I was like I'm gonna make a sticker shop and I started drawing things and putting it on Redbubble it was terrible but at least it's out there and (laughs) if you have a Redbubble account I never touch it anymore because I'm like I'm bored I'm not interested in anymore but I think just like having all of those different experiences it prepares you for your next adventure the next project that you're gonna pursue
2: yeah, I love making things. I just hate promotion. If I need somebody who could yeah. do the promotion, because oh mine is like, I'll be like, oh, I accidentally made a merch store on Printify one week and I like created all these t shirts. Do I ever talk about them or promote them? No, because <laughs> I was like, I-, I just made them and they're out there. And I'm like, how is anybody going to find them? I don't know. But, you know, like that part of it or, you know, <laughs> Even with coaching, you know, like I'll create a coaching program and I'll be like, Hey, everybody, I created a coaching program and then that's it. I'll forget that I made it. And then I'll be like, why isn't anybody responding to this coaching program? I'm like, Oh, right. Cause you have to like market the shit out of it. And I hate it. I hate that part of it so much. So yeah, but that's like, you know, that's where you hire interns. (laughs) That's also on my to-do list to do hire interns. Yeah. I totally
0: relate to the loving making things and hating the marketing. I thought that was just us. So that's great.
2: Yeah. And if you think about it, like there's so much happening there. Like not only is there executive function and memory issues there of just literally like forgetting you did the thing, but also there's the issues with just feeling uncomfortable with self-promotion, which is imposter syndrome. And then there's the the same idea of just like once you're completed a project you're kind of lose interest in it because it's done like we are interested in the creative process so once something is done somebody's like that's so great you did that thing and you're like oh yeah whatever that was last week on the (laughs) next week (laughs) you know I used to like the minute a podcast was out I would get started on the next one and like my Mm -hmm. podcasts come out on Mondays and so usually by Sunday I'm like oh I Need to do this. <laughs> yeah, I'm procrastinating more and more each week on the boring mm-hmm. stuff because there's other shiny, bright, interesting objects for me to be chasing. And yeah, we have a really hard time kind of like staying in the moment and like soaking in the greatness of anything we've accomplished. Because again, it's that sense of like peace and gratitude and appreciation. Those are all boring emotions. So why do we have poor self-esteem? I wonder because we don't we don't like appreciate anything we accomplish. <laughs> Because simply like acknowledging our accomplishments is very uncomfortable for us.
0: It's funny that you said you didn't promote your store and coach, because you would never guess that. When we were looking up, I was like, wow, she's so accomplished. Everything looks so legit, like, oh, so professional. We need to get there. But like other people <laughs> would say that to us, we were like, oh my God, we're deceiving everyone. This is such bullshit. Nelly and I were talking about how we don't take more than, I don't know, 30 seconds to say we did something great. Nelly would say something like, hey, you know, it's actually really cool that we launched this in Forma. I was like, that's amazing. And I was like, huh, yeah. Oh fuck, we didn't do this shit.
2: (laughs) I know, right? That's why I feel like I have to tell you over and over again how much I fucking love your podcast. Because I was like, I have listened to a lot of ADHD podcasts. Oh, really? Well, you know, because it was like, that's what I did when I first learned, you know, and I listened to a lot of ADHD podcasts that were like, ADHD is your superpower. And here are the things that you need to do to get your life together. And I just was like, I mean, I appreciate there's a time and a place for that kind of coaching or whatever you want to call it. But I just feel like those don't land very well with the ADHD community (laughs) Um, because you know how many calendars I've bought in my life a lot. I don't need Mm -hmm. you to tell me that your calendar is going to save my life. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think there's like a really delicate balance between trying talking about like ways in which we can help each other cope versus like, let's. Just talk about why we tick, because that puzzle part of it, I think, has way more of a like a positive mental health effect on our self-identity than just being like, I am broken and something that you have is going to fix me. You know, that just perpetuates a sense of brokenness. And so when I came upon your podcast, and honestly, initially, I was like, oh, they're too young. I'm not going to relate to this podcast at all. <laughs> but- <laughs> But then I started listening to it and I love how you guys swear all the time cuz it just gets me so fired up. <laughs> but you know, I think it's almost like you were saying earlier Nelly like we feel things really strongly right and sometimes you don't know what to do with that and so if you don't have like an outlet where you can be like fuck yeah then like sometimes (laughs) you just kind of tamp it down and it can be a little heavy and so i feel like you guys just talk about really serious issues in just this incredibly positive like I don't even know what the word, you just get me fired up in a way that like, I love the feeling I get after listening to you guys having a conversation, which is like, I mean, what more could you want from a podcast, right? Is just like, you know, I'm not necessarily looking. And then I trust that any conversation you have is going to make me feel that way. So then I'm like, I'll buy whatever you're selling, you know, like, I don't care what <laughs> you're talking about. I will buy, you know, and that's the kind of audience you want, Right.
1: Thank you so much for like saying all those nice, sweet things. Because I feel like whenever me and Juno talk in our conversations and we edit, and I'm like, if we're both bored editing this, this is not going to go out. Because we're both bored. And I feel like people with ADHD, <laughs> if we're bored and something's not interesting, it can't hold our attention. So when I was also looking for ADHD podcast... If it's like usually lecture type style, I can't listen to it for more than like 10 minutes because it's so long. Same. And I'll listen to it at two times the speed. And I'm like, we need to find something to talk about this in an entertaining way that we can both like rehear it or like rewatch something. So, yeah.
2: That is funny because I listen to my podcast on one and a half speed, but I can't listen to yours on one and a half speed because you guys talk so fast. <laughs> That's <laughs> You're like, funny. You're like the only podcast I listen to that I listen to on regular speed. So I don't know if that's a compliment or an insult, but
0: that's awesome. All the amazing things you said about our podcast was actually why we were really excited when you reached out. Cause I was like, holy shit, like women in ADHD, like specifically women, that was also badass, but to like. Yours are also super conversational and so chill. And I was like, yes, we need more of this Um, and with really fun people. So I thought that was so cool. Actually, one thing I'm curious is like when you were having conversations with women with ADHD, what was that like? Because I think like we and Nelly, we had some hiccups when we were talking and we interrupted each other and things like that. So I'm just curious what the experience is like.
2: In the beginning, you know, one thing that drives me crazy is how much the women apologize for just existing. You know, how many times do women say, I'm sorry, I'm rambling. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm," you know, sorry, me again. And so that's something I try to tell my guests, which I'm just like, stop for Christ's sake, stop apologizing. Like this, there's so much freedom in having an ADHD podcast because I'm like, we can ramble, we can go off topic. You start a sentence and halfway through, you're like, what was he even talking about again? Like, you know, but it's a safe place. So you know that like everybody's along for the <laughs> ride. And that's what amazes me that people even listen to these conversations. Cause you're like, what are we even talking about again? I don't remember, but I'm sure it was interesting. you know. <laughs> and then like, <laughs> and then I go back and edit the podcasts and I was like, damn, that was a really interesting conversation, you know, like, and then the person, my guest, I'll reach out to them and be like, your episode is coming out on Monday. And I'm like, and I bet since you have ADHD, you remember nothing about the conversation. And they're <laughs> like, it's true. I don't remember anything about it. Uh, and so like, so on the one hand, I just love how they just like go off in all different directions. But I have developed my five questions that I ask everybody because I try not to go over an hour if they are... Way longer. It's really hard to edit because every sentence literally runs into the next thought and like, you, there's no like clean way to edit, right? You know, so I felt like if I created some sense of structure in the moment with my questions, it was going to be a lot easier for me to just find those artificial pauses. And then I also found that my guests felt better. Like some of them come with full notes where they're like, I've prepared for this test. (laughs) And then (laughs) then if we don't get to one of the questions, I feel guilty because then I'm like, I'm sorry you studied for this test and the question wasn't even on the exam. (laughs) But... It makes my job a lot easier in terms of editing if I have a little more structure. So I started imposing that after a few weeks of realizing how insane these conversations are. But I still like, I freaking love them. I love they go all sorts of weird places. And like you said, like, I love listening to them too. I feel like we're really good at just holding on to the saddle and going for the ride <laughs> and not falling off the bull. That's the weirdest <laughs> conversation metaphor ever. But you understand, right? <laughs>
1: I think last time when we were on your podcast, me and Juno were talking like, oh my God, you're a great speaker and the transitions that you have leading into the next question and your responses and stories are just like super amazing and well-spoken and put together. And I just like love listening to your podcast and the way you interview all your guests. Do you have any tips for those listening, especially those with ADHD or a woman with mental health struggles as well?
2: All right, I'll try to keep this brief. Listen to... Two Addies and a coffee, and please, <laughs> I always have to remember the polite part at the end. I think hearing other people's stories is an incredible way to develop self-identity. I feel like how we understand and treat ADHD really is about like knowing that you're not alone and knowing that this is an incredibly complex and nuanced diagnosis, even just the term diagnosis is weird, because then it sort of medicalizes it. And then people treat it like you have a terminal illness, which is not the case, you know, so it's really difficult to understand ADHD by just learning about like, what is executive function? And what is inattentiveness? And what is time blindness? Like, it's important to understand those things. But I think it really hits home when you start to understand like, how those relate, Oftentimes, things need to be like told to us explicitly. <laughs> like <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you can see somebody else doing something and it won't really register with you and it has to like land with you in a specific way for it to really connect in your own psyche. And so I think it's really like why we're constantly trying to solve the puzzle that is us. Um, one of my favorite quotes that I ever heard, I have no idea, who said it or even what it was i just remember hearing it in passing once and thinking it beautifully summed up me and now by extension women with adhd which was like i've never found a job that was as interesting as me <laughs> and right huh. where it's just like i've never found anything as interesting as me <laughs> like i think we're endlessly fascinated by ourselves and the world and how we relate to the world and we love solving the endless puzzle that is our existence. That's amazing.
0: <laughs> Thank you, Katie. We are so honored to have had you in this episode and we strongly strongly recommend checking out her podcast. She's super super awesome and this is actually did you say her 6 month anniversary of the podcast?
2: Yes. Yeah. Amazing. Congrats.
0: So, as a fellow ADHD podcaster, would you like to
2: close the episode? Thank you for listening to another episode of Two Addies and a Coffee, Please.